because I can't give mom her message if you don't record. <laughs> so listen, I'm going to start by just saying to my own mother, Donna, how much I miss her and I love her. Mom, I love you. And what I wanted to say today, I, I thought about this very early in the morning. You showed me what it was like to love like Jesus. That's what my mom did. She just exuded welcome, safety, hospitality, and love. I never felt an ounce of judgment. I never felt an ounce of like reprieve. I just felt free to be who I was. And so I'm grateful to my mom for loving me like Jesus. So we've been talking about Proverbs and uh, this like a book of wisdom that barely made it into the canon. I mentioned this, right, that it's so common sense that why would it need to be in the Bible? And I'm grateful that it is because it has so much profound wisdom and it's always connected to what it means to live the good life. So the Bible is never interested in wisdom like knowledge. I am smart. I, I'm intelligent. It's wisdom in relationship to living the good life. Wisdom in connection to like being faithful to God and what that might mean, right? But something that Proverbs does, it's a very, very weird teaching tool, and you're going to have to help me with it. I'm going to give you an example, and this happens periodically throughout. It will say one thing, and then it will literally just say the opposite of that thing. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, how is this wisdom, right? So there's going to be some participation in a minute. So Sullivan, this is, this is from Proverbs 26. Don't answer fools according to their folly, or you will become like them yourself. Answer fools according to their folly, or they will deem themselves wise. So do I answer fools, or do I not answer fools? Yes. So this is a, like, not, this is like such a Jewish thing to do, right? Uh, like, it feels... It, like, I came to you for advice, Jesus, and you told me some weird story, and I don't even know what it means. I asked you a question. You told me about lilies. You told me about some farmer. You told me about someone scattering seed, and then now I have to think about it? But that's what we're going to have to do now, right? So what, why in the world? So Sullivan, next slide is my question, right? Why the contradictory messages in Proverbs, like Proverbs 26? Why teach wisdom this way? Answer fools, don't answer fools. <laughs> what do you think? Ooh, I just heard, I didn't know who said that though. It depends, but it's my favorite phrase. It's my wife's least favorite phrase. I say it depends about almost everything because doesn't it? But what did you mean by that? It depends. What does it depend on? The context. So, like, I have to have some background knowledge about whether or not I should answer this person or not. Whether this is a waste of my time or whether if I don't answer, this information will win the day or something, right? Do I respond or not? Well, go back to this passage. Don't answer fools according to the folly. Why? Because then you're going to become like one yourself. But you should answer them or else they'll deem themselves wise. So depending on the situation, I, I have to figure out how to respond, right? Whether I keep my mouth shut or not. That feels relational, too. Relational? Yeah. What do you mean by that? So um, there's like a sense of trust and a sense of like willingness to learn from each other that I think has to be present. 
to have a conversation. And like there has to be some fortitude, but also some like humility there. So I think that there needs to be relationship before there's a conversation. Yeah, that's great. And part of the context is who's the person? This isn't a rule. This isn't a rule that like, in no matter the context, do this. And by the way, the Bible almost never provides this. Jesus does not provide this. Like how did, how Christian culture in many pockets became black and white, just absolute moral universals is strange because that's not, like th those decrees are not laid out. It is relational. I have to know who I'm talking to and have a history, know the context to know what I should do. And this, by the way, the whole book is about wisdom. I have to have the wisdom to know what's called for in this relationship, in this context. What else? Why else, do you, why else might this be beneficial to teach this way? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so I respond, but I don't respond in kind, right? So, I, I, so it demands that I not do the same, but that I can't be silent either. So like there's this nuanced way of responding that this tries to carve out like a middle way. There was another hand that went up. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, maybe. So here's the word I, I like literally, my, because my, I, the word smart or dumb or, like, those don't really, I, it's thoughtful. I, I, I want my students to be thoughtful. Like, I don't want them just to have memorized a bunch of philosophy when they graduate, because we've been forced to think about, like, what do you want all your graduates to have? Introspective, thoughtful, like, go, go two more levels deeper than you thought you needed to. And the Bible often demands that of me. I've got to go several layers down to gain the wisdom that it's offering. So I, I have some thoughts. That's okay. You, you can raise your hand if you want as we go, but I, I have a few thoughts. I, um, I'll, I'll give you like just like some theology, and not everyone sees it this way, but there's like a whole theological movement that's predicated sort of like on postmodern philosophy and other things that would suggest that every time you say something about God, you're also saying not that. Like with everything you say, there's also a negation that comes along with it. That you can't ever exhaust God with a word, not even love, not even justice, right? That, that there's no label, there is no language, there is no mental category that would exhaust. God will always be an excess of what we can think or know. God will always be beyond or transcend. So everything I say might be partly true about God, but then there's also something about what I've said that is not true, that is uh, a misrepresentation, that is false. So we have to remember this to keep ourselves from ever thinking that we've exhausted who God is. But I would submit that that's true of us. That there's no label you have for me that exhausts who Joe is. I am always in access of what you know about me, of what you've experienced about me, that I can't be completely defined or categorized or known. So I'm known and I'm, and I'm hidden. Is that, is that not true? Even when you're known deeply, part of me is not known. It is, it is always hidden. I think this is true. I find this to be, in, a, in the simplest terms, I have lied, and I am more than a liar. Right? So it would be true to say I'm a liar, and it would be false to say I'm a liar. It's true, and it is false. 
You answer fools and you do not answer fools. That we can't define each other or God in some way that we don't also have to immediately negate. And that's, that's like, I get it. That's, there, there's some depth there, but I think this is right. I think this is helpful for me when I think about my kids. It's not the extroverted and the introverted, the smart or the this, the good at school, the that. That all of those things are true and not true about my wife, about my friends. And there's something important and humbling about this. And I do think a lot of this is about wisdom with relationship and wisdom with context. So, should Lori teach her daughter to let the kite out further? Yep. Because if you protect and you care about safety and you reel it in and you put it away and you don't let the kite fly, the kite never gets lost and it never gets to live, just like when we try to protect ourselves and our hearts. Right? So does Lori have to teach her daughter to let the kite out further? Yep. And does Lori have to teach her daughter how to reel the kite back in? Yep. And that's how life is. It is both. And part of it is knowing my daughter always wants to reel it in and put it away, so we're going to make her send it out further. But that daughter always lets it out to the end, and I've got to teach her how to rein it in. But it depends on the relationship, and it depends on the context, and it's not black and white. It's a mess. But that's biblical wisdom. Every yes is a no at some point, right, on the, other, on the flip side. Yeah. Yes, this is, so you talk about Socratic method, right? This is my jam. I love it. Uh, It is always, there's always another question to ask. So that's what Socrates does. Why he gets killed. He's because he asks questions till people kill him. Uh, That's, it's really annoying. People don't love it. And, but there's always a layer that I haven't thought of, right? So he'll like roam around. It's like roaming around and, oh, you know something about justice? And then he wants to talk to that person. And they're like, sure, certainly. I'm a lawyer. I know about justice. And he says, oh, what is justice? And then they answer it and they'll say, hmm, okay, sure, but, and this is the, what's the flip side that you haven't thought about related to justice or what beauty or love? Okay, I'm going to rewind for a minute. I want to come back to what Lori read. So I want to look at Proverbs 8. So Proverbs 8, and, I, and I'm talking about wisdom being a part of the heart, not the head. Wisdom starts in here, not up here. Wisdom is what do I love? What do I fear? Wisdom is about how I feel, how I navigate my world. What do I desire? So Proverbs 1, right, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And we talked about that my last time I preached. It's not fear like paralyzing fear. It's not fear like runaway fear. It's fear like I feel appropriately about the world. God is God and I am not. I am not the center of the story. I am part of God's story, right? And that kind of humility, that kind of awe, that kind of reverence for God is the beginning to wisdom, but it's how you feel. Fear is a visceral thing. Proverbs chapter eight is all about desire. What do I desire? And so wisdom gets described as a woman, which I love all throughout Proverbs. The wisdom right? It's she, it's her. Wisdom is a woman. And in part, wisdom is a woman to be provocative 
for the young adolescent men studying Proverbs, right? She is seductive. She is here to provoke desire. Wisdom should inspire and prod your desire, right? So if you think of it like this, like the way you desire a woman, they say you should desire wisdom. You should want it. You should pursue it. You should do what it takes to acquire it. So in Proverbs 8, it talks about it in this way, right? What I offer is more important than silver, right? More than choice gold, better than pearls. Nothing is more delightful. Sometimes nothing is more beautiful. Nothing is more attractive than wisdom. Multiple times in Proverbs 8, it is about how wisdom inspires desire. It should capture our attention. We should pursue it, okay? So wisdom is about desire. It's not about the head. It's about your gut. It's about your heart. It's about what you want. What do you love? Where are your priorities, right? And we know that it is true and also not true that following your desire can lead you astray, right? Like following your desire can be troubling. For example, Genesis chapter 3 with Eve. So I'm gonna, we're going to go there, Sullivan. I think that's two slides. Nope, keep going. There you go. Genesis chapter 3, and Eve saw that the tree was good for eating and that it was desirable to the eyes. Ah, desire. I want that. It looks delicious. The tree was to be coveted because it would give her knowledge, them knowledge of good and evil. And she took from its fruit and she ate. Desire can lead one astray. And yet, desire is in some sense the beginning of wisdom. So now we're stuck in another Proverbs quandary. It's yes and it's no. So, Joe's proverb, the next one. Here's my proverb for you. Don't follow desire, it will only lead you astray, but absolutely follow your greatest desire because it will lead you to the very heart of God. <laughs> That's just what, this is just what the Bible's doing. It, but this is not, this is, both of these things are true, Right? Depending on the context, both of these things are true. The key is what do you desire? What is your heart's desire? What do you really want? And the Bible's suggesting we should want wisdom, righteousness, mercy, justice. But I don't always desire that. I desire Joe and my belly and my entertainment and my safety and my comfort. That's what I want. And if I live on that desire, then it leads me away from God. But if I live into my deepest desires for like community, to be known, love, then all of a sudden, if I follow that desire, it leads me straight to the heart of God. Here, here's the problem, and I get it. You don't choose what you desire. You don't choose what you want. You just want it. If I, if I could sit down and choose what I wanted, I would want different stuff, but I don't. Desires just rise up in me. Am I wrong? Which means some of my desires will lead me right away from where God wants, and some of them will lead me right to the heart of God, and I've got to figure it out. So here's, here's what I'm going to suggest. You can't choose your desires, but you can decide which ones you're going to feed. Desires are like the hungry wolf inside of you. And you can feed the wolf that is selfish and prideful and scared and angry, and you could keep feeding it, and you can keep turning on the news and reading whatever and, lit, and just getting angry or getting scared or getting sad. You can feed that, and those desires will grow. Or... 
You can starve those desires and you can shut that off and you can feed a different part of yourself. You can feed a part of yourself that is kind, loving, desires connection with other people, desires connection with God. Feed that desire. Do those things, right? By starving one and feeding another, you do shape what you want, right? You do begin to shape. I grew up learning that my desires were bad, that I was sinful, that my nature was wrong and corrupted because of the fall, and it couldn't be trusted. And I just don't think that's true. Some of my desires are problematic, but many, many others lead me here to this place, to all of you, to the very seat of God. And those desires I have to follow and I have to feed and I have to cultivate. So what we need then is kind of like an audit, right? The greatest, we love this, right? Assessment. It's about you auditing your life, auditing your desires and recognizing which of these am I going to feed? Which of these am I going to prioritize? Because they're not all bad. Many of them are wonderful. And which of my desires am I going to ignore? Because follow your desire and it will lead you astray and yet follow your greatest desire and it will lead you to the heart of God and both of those things are true. It's a yes and it's a no. And it's going to be up to you to figure out how to work that. We're going to come to the table today, communion, right? And we're going to do it in one of two ways. If you are comfortable, COVID comfortable, we're going to do it the, the old-fashioned way where I'm going to tear a piece of bread off and you're going to dip it in 